I'm reading from the revised version of the Bible. For Luke 17, 20 20 to 33. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees what the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here and see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here and look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For the lightning that flashes out of the one, uh, uh, one part under the heavens shines to the other part under heavens, so that also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by generations. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the floods came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. Likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whosoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whosoever will lose his life will preserve it. The word of God for the people of God. Now, the scripture I'm going to be focusing on this morning is actually the Advent reading. But the scripture that Gene just uh, uh, shared with you is one I think a lot of people, when if they aren't real Bible students and they've just heard about Jesus, it would probably surprise them because they assume Jesus just uh, taught morality and he didn't talk about things like the second coming. But he's very clear that in that day, despite all the warnings, despite the fact that uh, missionaries have gone all around the world, despite the fact that God's Word is the most published book uh, in, in history, despite all of that, somehow people are going to miss the point. Their expectations along the way are going to be that God is never coming back or God doesn't exist or it's just, it's just not going to happen. But he said that's the way it's going to be in that day. They're going to be going about their daily tasks. They're going to be eating and drinking and, uh, you know, their, their minds, their hearts will not be with God. And it's in that day that, uh, that Jesus will return. And so uh, uh, during this Advent season, Advent is the word that means coming. That uh, as Christ does, we prepare for his second coming. Let us not... Uh, Let us not go asleep and let us not grow impatient to the point that we lose hope in that coming. So I'm looking at Matthew 11, the earlier reading this morning, in which John the Baptist is in prison. Anybody know why he was in prison? You don't have to answer, but he was in prison because he was challenging the marriage of the king to his half-brother's wife. The king had divorced his wife to marry his deceased half-brother's wife. And so uh, John the Baptist spoke out about that, said that's against the law. Now, John the Baptist was really, uh, uh, had a little different emphasis in his preaching than Jesus did. John the Baptist was all about the coming Messiah. 
And that was Jesus. And he, he believed that might be Jesus. They were related. Some people say they were cousins, but, but that's really not accurate. They were related in some way. Mary and John's brother, or, or um, John's mother, were related, we're told. And the word that's used for that, sometimes translated as cousins, it just means relation, related. So they were related in some way. So there was some blood uh, relationship between John and Jesus. They were both considered of different tribes. Jesus of the tribe of Judah, which the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. John's father was a priest in the temple. John was of the, of the tribe of Levi. The, uh, and uh, they were the priests. They were the people very often who defended the law. And so you find uh, John in the tradition of his family, defending the law of God against the king, saying, this is against God's law, what you have done. So Herodias, uh, Herod's uh, uh, wife, uh, Herod doesn't seem to be so upset with John. But Herodias, the wife, is, and so she has her daughter dance for Herod, and Herod is pleased with the dance, a licentious sort of, of dancing going on there, and so he says, whatever you want, I'll give to you. And so Herodias has her daughter ask for the head of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is eventually beheaded. And uh, he is in prison at this point. He has been put in prison. And he sends some of his followers. John the Baptist actually seems to have had quite a few followers. We know many, many went out to be baptized of him in the Jordan, in the wilderness. But a lot of people stayed around with him. And he had disciples just like Jesus. So he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus the question, Are you the one or should we expect another? Are you the one that we're expecting or should we expect another? And the question arises at that point, why is John the Baptist asking that of Jesus? Why is, is he questioning this? Doesn't he have uh, some uh, faith that Jesus is this one? After all, Mary had told John's mother about the visit of the angel and that the child within her was the Messiah. Also, John the Baptist was there when he baptized uh, Jesus in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit came down upon him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So John had witnessed things that attested to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. So what was it that caused him to question? What expectations did he have of the Messiah that Jesus wasn't meeting? And you have to understand that first century uh, uh, nation of Israel, the Jewish faith, at that time, there are a lot of prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Some of them emphasize that he's coming to judge. He's coming with a sword. He's coming on a white horse. He is coming as a warrior king to rule. Others, for instance, in Isaiah talk about a suffering servant, that he comes as one who suffers on our behalf, these are the ones that we, most, that we usually look at and say this is remarkable how much it describes Jesus and his life and his death on the cross. So there were a lot of, as there are today, a lot of disputes about the meaning of things in the Bible. So there were a lot of people who had different ideas about what the Messiah was going to be like. And, and uh, you have to understand, for many of the people in Israel at that time, under the domination of the Romans, after they had been under the domination of the Assyrians and the Babylonians for centuries, the idea of a warrior Messiah was very appealing. The idea that he would come and wreak vengeance on their enemies was very appealing. And so... Uh, 
John had picked up different ideas about the Messiah, but what he's hearing about Jesus is that Jesus is coming and he's talking about mercy and peace and forgiveness. He's healing people. He seems concerned about the poor. There are a lot of things going on here which are good things, but don't necessarily, for John, point to his idea of who the Messiah is going to be. So he wants to make sure. He's getting reports back from his disciples about Jesus and some of the things, for instance, uh, some of the things aren't lining up that he is preaching, doing his ministry in Galilee, kind of a backwater place to be doing it, instead of doing his ministry in Jerusalem, out of the temple. Why aren't you where the Messiah should be in Jerusalem? And the fact of the matter is, Jesus isn't born in Jerusalem. He's born five miles outside of Jerusalem, and he doesn't die in Jerusalem. He dies outside the walls of Jerusalem. And in his ministry, most every time he's in Jerusalem, he's running into conflict. Because the people of the the temple, the priests, uh, the Pharisees, don't like what he's preaching. Don't like the fact that he calls for mercy uh, for, for the Samaritans. He sees the Samaritans not as the enemies. There are a lot of things Jesus is doing that are not in line with what they're expecting. So Jesus responds, go report to John what you hear and see. He's not saying, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff here you haven't witnessed. I want, you have seen what I have been doing. So I want you to go and report to John what you have seen me doing. I'm not going to uh, stand here and make up anything. I'm not going to put this in ethereal language that's at 50,000 feet. I'm bringing it right down on the street level here. Go and tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. Not just what I'm claiming. But I want you to be witnesses to him as to what I'm doing. And then in case they had missed it, these are the things that they had seen and heard. Those who were blind are able to see. Those who were crippled are walking. People with skin diseases are cleansed. Those who were deaf now hear. Those who were dead are raised up. And the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Happy are those who don't stumble and fall because of me. Why would we stumble and fall because of Jesus? You see, at that time, there were a lot of people who were confused by Jesus. Why is it that the poor get the good news preached to them? The poor are just those nuisances on the sidewalks begging for our money. Why aren't you affiliating yourself, making connections and friendships among the power brokers of our society? And Jesus realizes that his ministry, what what John is seeing, for a lot of people is going to cause them to fall and to stumble and to lose their faith Because they don't see this as a messianic life that Jesus is leading. Even though it has miracles and there is power in it, it's not lining up with what they see. And so the expectations had gotten in their way. And very often, folks, we have expectations that get in our way of leading the life that God wants us to lead. There are many people out there. Jesus said, the kingdom of God comes And it is taken hold of violently. And violent things are done to it. And and that's a sort of a mysterious thing to say. But what he is saying when he says that is that there are people who have come and they have taken the kingdom of God, which I'm ushering in here, and they have used it to their own ends. Do we not see that today? People who use church for their own profit. People who use the kingdom of God 
to bring fame to themselves. Matthew 25, Jesus says, someday people are going to stand in front of me and they're going to say, but Lord, didn't we, didn't we preach in your name and prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we do wonderful things in your, in, in your name, Lord? You know, don't we deserve to get into heaven? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you were people who came into the kingdom, but you tried to shape it to your own ends and to your own benefit. And a lot of what we do in church is about our personal comfort. You know, it's about uh, bending and twisting the kingdom of God to fit into our schedules so that at no time are we being asked to sacrifice anything. That's the modern church in America. It's the church of comfort. I saw a new church was starting the other day and I saw a sign for it and it said, a church with you in mind. And I thought about that for a long time. And I thought about a Philippians 2 where Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, became as a servant, emptied himself out. But now the church is saying, but we're not going to take on the mind of Christ. We're going to shape our church with you in mind. What do you want? What will make you happy? What kind of music? What style of preaching? We'll, we'll take surveys of the congregation. We'll get everybody's opinion. And we'll shape the church. That's, that's the message I hear as a preacher. We need to shape the church to please the people around us so that they'll come into the church. Rather than asking people to come into God's kingdom where God will reshape their lives and transform their hearts. And so Jesus wasn't fitting the expectations. And today we have to be really careful that we don't try to shape the kingdom of God to our expectations. Running around complaining about everything. Well, the preacher, there was some strange type font on the screen this morning. What was that all about? Which, by the way, it's about when, when we put on a new font downstairs in the office, we need to also put it on this computer because when this computer hits it, it says, whoa, I've never seen that before. Let me guess. And it throws some strange font up. on. I'm getting away here. It's my pet peeves about things and all. But I forgot to put the font on this computer up here. Now I go back there and Carolyn's giving me a hard time. What kind of pastor are you? Can't even get the font right. Okay. So we're all worried about, you know, pleasing everybody and having perfection and everything. And it's not going to happen with me. You know, I don't always meet expectations of what people were looking at. When I, when I first wanted to be a pastor, I was 19 years old. I didn't become a pastor until I was 42. Why? Because at 19, people's expectation of me was not that I would be a pastor. At 42, they said... Well, he hadn't done anything else right. <laughs> don't, don't matter anymore. Expectations were lowered a lot for me. Isn't, isn't that true? In life, our expectations drive a lot of things. We talk about having great expectations. We talk about having to lower our expectations. Oftentimes, our expectations aren't met. Expectations are Christmas, is that this is the happiest time of the year, right? But for a lot of people, it's not. And you try to do everything, you try to decorate, have the best decorations in the neighborhood, you try to have the best Christmas party, you try to have all your family come and be happy and everything falls apart and you're left in depression. Our expectations, folks, need to be in line with God's expectations. And that's where joy comes. That's where Jesus says in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks a lot about worry in that passage. He says, why are you so worried? You know, don't worry. 
God's going to take care of you. Look at how he takes care of the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at yeah. he's, he's taking care of these things. Don't worry so much. Don't let your expectations drive you to stre- stress and to, to uh, an overbearing behavior that drives away all the people around you as you're trying to, to shape the world yourself. Let God shape your world for us and be at peace and be happy with that. Folks, what are our expectations of Jesus? We read what John, uh, you know, his question. Are you the one? And then, and then Jesus later on, he says to the people, he says, when, when John came out, when you came out into the wilderness to hear John preach, what were you expecting? What were your expectations? And as we approach Christmas, what are your expectations for Jesus in your life? What are your expectations Next year, 2020, for God in your life. Are you expecting his return? I hope so. It may not happen next year, but we should live in continual expectation about it. Do you expect the Nationals to win again in the World Series? You know, the odds aren't great. They're already saying, no, they can't do it, you know. On the other hand, the Redskins... Next year, not this year, but next year, we'll win the Super Bowl. I say that every year. I say that every year. But we live our lives around expectations, what the day is going to be like. Everything in our life is, 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 is zoomed towards a future that isn't here yet. But what can happen with our faith in God and our faith in Jesus Christ is that we can have distorted expectations and we can begin to twist the kingdom of God to, to accommodate our lives and all too. And pretty soon we don't know God and God doesn't know us anymore. We've created an alien life that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. So you say, so Bob, as you're wrapping up here, how do I know the kingdom of God? What is the key here? How, how do I live a life that meets God's expectations and not my own? And in a second, I'm going to have Carolyn click, and we're going to play a song, right? Not just this second, but uh, that to me, uh, a song written by a woman who had just uh, lost her husband in a tragic accident, that to me has always been one of the most beautiful, uh, meaningful uh, songs that we sing. And it's very simple. It puts it very simple. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Folks, our expectation should be no higher or no lower than trusting in Jesus. My expectation for this day is I will trust in Jesus no matter what comes and trust that Jesus will carry me through. That is the the expectation we each should have for our lives. That's what it means to live by faith. That's why Jesus kept saying over and over, have faith, trust in me. May all of our lives this morning be joyful and triumphant as we trust with simple grace in Jesus Christ and come to his manger, trusting in him alone. Let us go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, joyful and triumphant, knowing that there is one thing and one thing only that we must do in this life, and that is to trust in God, to trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, to put our faith in Him. Go in His peace and faith, and amen.